Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, great to be with you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Gerald. And uh, it, it is uh, it is great to hear you guys sing. Uh, and and thank you for using your gifts uh, for us. Before we head into First Thessalonians, why don't we bow in prayer and uh, lift some thoughts to God, eh? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship, worship in such a way at a time like this. And Lord, we pray now as we come that we may have open hearts to hearing from you as you call us, convict us through your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that it is. Thank you for the encouragement that it is to sing songs, that proclaim your name, that proclaim your goodness and your faithfulness. And thank you for the hope that we have in you and that we have just sung about. Lord, and as we now turn to your word, may we continue to be encouraged through the hope that you have given in your gospel. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this may surprise you, but I am no expert in physics. Physics is not a strong suit of mine and uh, I really have no knowledgeable insights about it. But I do understand that when an activity uh, requires power and force, that something happens. There is a result of that. So, for example, I know that when I ride my bike, And when I put the power of my body through uh, my feet and the power of my legs through uh, to the pedals, that there is some force going on, that there is some energy and activity produced and I am able to ride my bike. Well, perhaps the amount of force you put on the accelerator in your car then results in power and energy produced and the car moves off. Maybe we think about it as in flight with an aeroplane, that the power produced through its engines enables it to go forward, pick up speed and lift off. This, I think, is at least power in its most simple terms, simplest terms. And as we work through our passage this morning, we come to Uh, a passage that highlights the power of the gospel, the power of the message of Jesus. So we see in our passage here at the start of this letter in 1 Thessalonians that gospel power produces gospel people. And the gospel is that force, that activity, that power that produces something, something, something that is gospel people. And so I hope as we go through our passage this morning, you'll see this as well. And at the heart of this first chapter in 1 Thessalonians lies verse 5 and it describes this gospel power that I am talking about. We read... Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power 
in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. And the power of the Gospel comes from the Holy Spirit. We may hear the Gospel preached to us. We may know the message of the Gospel since we have been conceived. We may hear it in worship music that we sing. We may read about the Gospel in books. We may listen to the Gospel in sermons. But the Gospel produces activity in us. It has an effect upon us only when the Holy Spirit does his work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, Paul writes to, uh, to the church in Corinth, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. And we may hear the Gospel again and again and again, and, and even again, but there will be no change. There will be no change of heart. There will be no transformation of heart, no conversion, no joy in God, no peace with God or worship of God unless the Spirit's power works powerfully in us. And it is by the Spirit's work in us and upon us that we are open to God and to recognise his Gospel as truth. For to affirm Christ as Lord of our life, to believe in what he has done for us on the cross and for what he has spoken, well, this will not arrest us until we have the power of the Spirit doing his work within us and in our hearts. And this is evidently what the Thessalonians, this small church, experienced, the power of the gospel came through the power of the Spirit. And so we can say that gospel power produces gospel people. The obvious question to ask us then at this point is do we know the power of the gospel? Do we know the transforming power of the Spirit in our life? Don't simply listen to the words of the gospel. Don't simply listen to the words about what Jesus has done. But do we pray that he will powerfully work in us through his spirit? If we head back up to the top of our passage this morning, back in verse 1, Paul and his friends Silas and Timothy begin this letter to Thessalonica, Thessalonica with a typical first century uh, opening, greeting and blessing. We know who it is from, from Paul and his friends Silas and Timothy. And we know who it is to, this church in Thessalonica. And we also find out something about their identity. There is a small word in this opening verse that highlights the identity of these people 
uh, that Paul is writing to. And that small word is the word in. He writes, To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The church of God is made up of those who are in God, who are in Christ. And Paul regularly says this in his other letters, in Galatians 3, 26 to 28, For through faith you are all sons and daughters of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who are baptised into the Spirit have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3 So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. To be in Christ means we've been accepted by God through through the saving work of Jesus Christ. That we have placed our faith in Christ, we've placed our faith in Christ alone and as a consequence we now find ourselves in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a statement there of identity. We are part of their family, of God's family. I'm in the Coombs family. My kids are in the Coombs family. Part of my identity is to be in the Coombs family. Part of my kids' identity is to be in the Coombs family. So too, we are in God. We are in Christ. Our identity is in part to be in God's family. And again, this occurs through the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel, this saving work of Christ on the cross has produced in us this new identity in Christ. We're included into the people of God because of the faith we have in Christ, because of what he has done for us. This again is the the power of the gospel producing gospel people. Often parts of our identity can be wrapped up in the things that we do, in success, in work, in uh, the hobbies we might have, in our parenting, in our relationships, uh, in our different pursuits. But here we find that identity is about who we are, who we are in Christ. And as Paul begins to express his thanks for this church, we find that he constantly remembers them in his prayers. don't think he means he's praying for them 24-7, but it's evident he is regularly, even frequently, praying for this church of Thessalonica. They are on his prayer list. And so this alone could be a reminder and an example for us to continue to pray for the church and for churches that we know of. And as he does this, he remembers their work produced by faith, their labour motivated by love and their endurance inspired by hope there in verse 3. Paul reminds or remembers the way in which this small Thessalonian church went about their Christian life and community together. 
particularly, obviously, after they accepted uh, the Gospel. And so, like a tripod that holds up a camera, Paul writes about this trifold foundation that, that, that is a stable Gospel faith. Faith, love and hope. For in faith we believe that Christ has died and risen. We are called to love God and to love others. And we are a people of hope. Hope for the now and, and hope for the future. Hope for everlasting. And you may be familiar with this trifold foundation. Uh, it's often quoted from 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, but John Stott writes about this verse in, here in 1 Thessalonians. He writes, Every Christian, without exception, is a believer, a lover and a hoper. Faith, hope and love are thus sure evidence of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Together they completely reorientate our lives as we find ourselves being drawn up towards God in faith, out towards people in love, and on towards the parousia, the second coming, in hope. In these days that are often quite disorientating as our society and culture shifts and, and can pound our faith like waves on the seashore, it's helpful to remember that it is, at its most basic, at its most simplest, the Christian life is a life lived by faith uh, by faith, with love and in hope. By faith, with love and in hope. And further to our identity in Christ is the doctrine of election. That God has chosen us to be in Christ. In verses 4 and 5, we read, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only but also in power, in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Paul is confident enough to say this because the gospel has come in power to the Thessalonians. Therefore, he knows that they have been chosen by God. To be chosen by God provides us with a deep humility, a deep thankfulness, a an inspiration per to persevere in holiness, to, to go with purpose in being a witness to the world. God's election of his people is not explained other than he has chosen to direct his special love towards people. Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 through 8. We read, The Lord had his heart set on you. This is, he's talking of, of Israel, the, the, his people of Israel. The Lord, has set his heart, the Lord had his heart set on you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. He brought you out from the, with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power 
of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And in a similar way, Paul here unites the love of God with the election of God. He has chosen us because he loves us and he loves us because he loves us. As one writer put it, he does not love us because we are lovable but only because he is love. Unlike those moments in the school playground, you may remember, where teams are chosen for a particular game or for sport and, you know, everyone lines up on the sideline, two captains are chosen and they each take a pick between one another. And, you know, they, they pick, the choice is really they pick the best players first and then they leave the, guy, the people who are, who are not so good to the, to the end. Well, unlike this, there is nothing in our abilities, nothing in our performance, nothing in what we do, nothing within us that stops God's love for us, stops God's chosen love for us. There is no doubt that there is mystery to this, of which we can wrestle with and, and pray come to terms with, content with. However, what we do know is that God loves us and that he has chosen us to be his people. And if you believe that there is something within you that is stopping God from loving you, then you, you actually don't understand his love. For he has chosen you because he loves you. And because you are chosen, you can know that he loves you. I wonder how you respond to such love. Because of the gospel's power in the lives of these Thessalonians, they have become gospel people who have a presence in the world around them in the community and the, the nations around them, we read of how the gospel went out from them to Macedonia and Achaia and in every place where their faith seemed to settle and reside among people in verses 7 and 8. And this, this is a great commendation for the church in uh, Thessalonica for they have built up a positive reputation among the churches and in, in the local area because of their compelling witness. I suppose reputations are important in our world too, aren't they? Uh, we as individuals are often known by reputation and so are companies and, and different organisations. All good reputations are, are generally built up over time as there is a building of trust uh, in them. But in one moment, that can all come crashing down. Recently, uh, Jen and I have watched the Netflix show Clickbait, which is not for the faint-hearted, and uh, it is about a man, uh, a good man, a good husband, a family man. Uh, he has a solid reputation amongst his community and particularly in his workplace. However, this man is kidnapped He's kidnapped because he is believed to have done some terrible things. 
And when a short video of him is uploaded and goes viral, this leads to lots of speculation about his life, about what he's done in his past and this, this perhaps this secret life that he has been leading. I'm not going to give any spoilers uh, for you, uh, but needless to say that this man's reputation and character was slashed, thrown upside down in just a few moments. The same can occur with us as individuals, can't it? The same can occur with church communities too. Certain reputations about certain people or about certain faith communities. It's worth asking, what is the reputation of Roeville Baptist Church? In our local community, how are we perceived what are we known for? Are we, are we a, a church that's worth uh, imitating by other churches? What do we want to know, be known for? We don't, don't, I don't ask these questions uh, as an excuse to trump ourselves up or as a, as a chance to you know, catalyse, uh, be a catalyst to, to tear down at all. But the passage seems to ask, what, what is... How are we perceived? What is our reputation? And we see that the gospel, or the gospel presence of this small church here in Thessalonica, uh, has has had a compelling witness to the community around it. A compelling witness to the community. And so Paul highlights this in two ways. He highlights. Uh, how this church has been a compelling witness in verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report, that is the the churches of Macedonia and Achaia and everywhere where uh, the faith has gone, they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And so first, the churches of Achaia and and Macedonia report to Paul how this church has turned away from that culturally familiar temple and idol worship that was so pervasive in the city of Thessalonica to then serve the true and living God. You see, when gospel power produces gospel people, there are compelling results. Results that cause ripple, uh, you know, have a ripple effect through individuals and through communities and through churches and people groups and, and even nations. Results that cause people to no longer do that which they used to do, but instead turn their hearts and their actions towards serving God. The per- we may have heard some of the stories, it's obviously not everyone has a story like this, but we hear often of a person who is a drug addict comes and reforms their ways. A person who who spent years sleeping around is now keeping themselves for their their future spouse. The, The person swearing every three words is doing so no longer. The attitude of pride and arrogance in the businessman or the businesswoman uh, seems to have been removed. It, of course, may not be sudden. It may take years 
and years to have this transformation. Yet through gospel power comes gospel people and through that comes some compelling results. Because we need to remember, don't we, that this is no self-help program that means behaviour change can happen because we make a few changes to our habits. No, this is a, this is a change of heart. This is a, 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 a true change of heart that transforms our lives and our actions, that, that transforms our desires of, of what and who we worship and serve. That's what's happened to the, the church at Thessalonica. They've turned from the temple worship, the idol worship, their hearts have turned to the true and living God and, and so they worship and serve him. In turning away from the idols in this city, it's evident that there has been a significant change of heart. The power of the Spirit, through the power of the Spirit, they have become gospel people, leading them away from this idolatry and pointing them towards worship and service of God. I wonder what the gospel is producing in you this morning. Second Paul, or this, this church in Thessalonica is, is also known as, this is what Paul says, is also known for waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. As chapter 1 concludes, we, we see how gospel power produces gospel people who are hopefully waiting for the return of their Lord, this second coming of Christ. And this is Paul's first mention of Christ's return. It certainly won't be the last. It is one of the major themes of this letter. But along with service, uh, this church is also known for hopefully waiting, waiting expectantly for the Lord's return, a, a, a return that will rescue them from the coming wrath of God. Of course, no one likes to talk about the wrath of God It is and should be something that terrifies us. To have the judgement of God upon us, making us accountable for our sin and our failings, our wrongdoing, our substandard living. And then thinking about that in terms of spending eternity separated from all things good and godly. That is a frightful thought. But here it is placed in in a more hopeful position uh, for those who have placed their trust in Christ particularly. For those who are in Christ are rescued, rescued from the wrath of God through the power of the gospel. Through Christ and his work on the cross, through the gospel, he has rescued us. And so again, the power of the gospel produces gospel people. So as we wait for his return, we live with a future hope, expectant hope, knowing that we are people with a new identity, that we have been chosen by God to compellingly serve the world in faith and in love 
and in hope. Chosen by God to compellingly serve the world in faith, in love and in hope. It's my prayer that we do that this week. Let's pray together. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for all the things that are wrapped up here in this first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And Lord, we thank you that through the power of your gospel that you transform us into gospel people. Now that includes a new identity, it includes being cho- knowing that we are chosen by you and that we may be a compelling witness to the world as we live by faith, in love and with hope. So Lord, we pray that you be with us today and in our week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.